Section 36 of the Book of the Bush. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of the Bush by George Dunderdale. Section 36. Seal Islands and Sealers. Am I my brother's keeper? The islands in Bass Straits, Hogan's Group, Kent's Group, the Answers, the Judgment Rocks, and others, are visited at certain seasons of the year by seals of three different kinds, viz. the hair seals, which are not of much value except for their oil, the grey seals, whose skins are valuable, and the black seals, whose furs always command the highest price. When these animals have not been disturbed in their resorts for some years, they are comparatively tame, and it is not difficult to approach them. Great numbers of the young ones are sometimes found on the rocks, and if pushed into the water they will presently come out again, scramble back on the rocks, and begin crying for their dams. But the old seals, when frequently disturbed, become shy, and on the first alarm take to the water. The flesh of the young seals is good to eat, and the seamen who have been cast away on the islands have been sometimes saved from starvation by eating it. I once made the acquaintance of an old sealer. He had formerly been very sensitive on the point of honour, would resent an insult as promptly as any knight-errant, but by making an idol of his honour his life had been a grievous burden to him, and he was not even a gentleman, and had never been one. He was known only as Jack. It was in the year 1854 that I had been cast ashore in Corio Bay by a gale of hostile fortune and had taken refuge for a while at the Buckshead Hotel, then kept by a man named Mackenzie. One evening after tea I was talking to a carpenter at the back door, who was lamenting his want of timber. He had not bought a sufficient supply from Geelong to complete his contract, which was to construct some benches for a Presbyterian church. Jack was standing near listening to the conversation. "'What kind of timber do you want?' he said. "'There is a lot of planks down there in the yard, "'and if you'll be outside about eleven o'clock, "'I'll chuck over as many as you want.' "'The contractor hesitated. "'Whose planks are they?' he asked. "'I don't know whose they are, and I don't care,' replied Jack. "'Say the word, and you can have them if you like.' "'The contractor made no reply, at least in words, to this generous offer.' "'It is not every man that has a friend like Jack. "'Many men will steal from you, but very few will steal for you, "'and when such a one is found, he deserves his reward.' "'We adjourned to the bar-parlour, and Jack had a glass of brandy, "'for which he did not pay. "'There was amongst the company a man from Adelaide, "'a learned mineralogist, who commenced a dissertation on the origin of gold.' He was most insufferable, would talk about nothing but science. Darwin wrote a book about the origin of the species, and it has been observed that the origin of the species is precisely what is not in the book. So we argued about the origin of gold, but we could get nowhere near it. When the rest of the company had retired, Jack observed to me, You put down that Adelaide chap greatly. He had not a leg to stand on. I was pleased to find that Jack knew a good argument when he heard it, so I rewarded his intelligence with another glass of brandy, 
and asked him if he had been long in the colonies. He said, "'My name's not Jack. That's what they call me. "'But it doesn't matter what my name is. "'I was brought up in Liverpool, but I wasn't born there. "'That doesn't matter either. "'I used to work at the docks, was living quite respectable, "'was married, and had a little son about five years old. "'One night, after I had supper and washed myself, "'I said to the missus, "'There's a peep show in Tithbarn Street, "'and if you'll wash Barbie's face, I'll take him there. "'It's no but a penny.' "'You know, it was one of them shows where they have pictures behind a piece of calico. "'Paul Pry with his umbrella, Daniel in the lion's den, "'ducks swimming across a river, "'a giantess who was a man shaved and dressed in women's clothes, "'a dog with five legs and a stuffed mermaid. "'Just what little lads would like. "'There was a man beside who played on a flute "'and another singing funny songs.' "'When I went outside into the street, "'there was little Billy Yates as used to play with Bobby, "'so I said, "'Come along, Billy, and I'll take thee to the show.' "'When we got there, we sat down on a bench, "'and just as they began to show the pictures, three black fellows came in and sat down on the bench before us. "'They thought they were big swells "'and had on black coats, white shirts, "'stiff collars up to their ear, "'red and green handkerchiefs, "'and bell-topper hats.' "'So I just touched one of them on the shoulder and said, "'Would you please take your hats off to let the lad see the pictures?' "'Well, then he could just turn his head half round "'and looked at me impudent like, but he kept his hat on. "'So I asked him again, quite civil, and he called me a low fellow, "'told me to mind my own business, and the other two niggers grinned. "'Well, you know, I could not stand that. "'I knew well enough what they were.' They were stewards on the liners running between New York and Liverpool, and they were going round trying to pass for swells in a penny peep show. I didn't want to make a row just then and spoil the show. So I said to the lads, women, go home. And I took them home, and then came back to the show and waited at the door. When the niggers came out, I pitched into the one that had given me cheek, but we couldn't have it out for the crowd, and we were all shoved into the street. I went away a bit, thinking no more about it, and met a man I knew when we went into a public house and had a quarter fourpenny. We were in a room by ourselves when the very same three niggers came in and stood a bit inside the door. So I took my tumbler and threw it at the head of the man I wanted, and then went at him. But I couldn't lick him greatly because the landlord came along and stopped us, so after a while I went home. Next morning I was going along Dale Street toward the dock to work, when who should I see but the very same blackfellow? It looked as if the devil was in it. He was by himself this time, coming along the other side of the street. So I crossed over and met him, and went close up to him and said, Well, what have you to say for yourself now? And I gave him a lick under the ear. He fell down on the curbstone and wouldn't get up, turned sulky-like. There was soon a crowd about, and they tried to waken him up, but he wouldn't help himself a bit, just sulked and wouldn't stir. I don't believe he'd have died but for that, because I know but gave him one hit. I thought I'd better make myself scarce for a while, so I left Liverpool and went to Preston. Were you ever in Preston? I said I was. Well, then, you'll remember Melling the fishmonger, a very big fat man. I worked for him for about six months, and then came back to Liverpool, thinking there'd be no more bother about the black fellow. But they took me up and gave me fourteen years for it, and if it had been a white man I wouldn't have got more than twelve months, and I was sent out to Van Diemen's Land, 
and ruined for ever, just for naught else but giving a chance lick to a black fellow. And now I hear they're going to war with Russia, and England, Scotland, and Wales. I hope they all get bloomin' well licked. It don't mend a man much to transport him, nor a woman either, for that matter. They all grow worse than ever. When I got my ticket, I sometimes went working in the bush, sometimes whaling and sealing, and sometimes stripping bark at Western Port and Portland Bay, before there was such a place as Melbourne. I was in a whaler for two years about Wilson's promontory, until the whales were all killed or driven away. I never saved any money till nine years back. We always went on the spree and spent every penny directly we were paid off. At that time I went with a man from Port Albert to the Seal Islands in a boat. I knew of a place where there was a cave, a big hollow under the rocks, where the seals used to go to sleep, and a blowhole coming out of it to the top of the island. We hired a boat and went there, and made a kind of door which we could drop down with a rope to shut out the mouth of the cave, and catch all the seals inside. We killed so many that we couldn't take the skins away all at once in the boat to Port Albert. We had to come back again. I thought to myself I'd be richer than ever I was in my life. The skins were worth hundreds of pounds. I had agreed to go halves with the Port Albert man, but you see he had never got a penny but for me, because he knew nothing whatever about sealing. It didn't look quite fair to give him half, and then I thought what a lucky thing it would be for me if he was drowned and he were drowned, but mind me, I didn't do it. It was this way. When we got back to the blowhole, the weather was bad. One of them south-east gales set in, and the big waves dashed again the rocks, roaring and sending spray across the island. We had packed away all the seal-skins snug in the boat, and pulled the door up from the bottom of the chimney before the gale started. When we were taking down the rope and tackle and the shears, the water began to come boiling up the blowhole and sinking down again. There was a big rush of wind, first up and then down, sucking you in like. It was a ticklish time, and just as we were going to lower the shears, the Port Albert man made a kind of slip and was sucked in with the wind, and went head first into the boiling water and out of sight. I took hold of the slack of a rope, thinking I'd throw it to him. He might get hold of it, and then I could pull him out. In about half a minute he was thrown up again by the next wave, right to the top of the chimney. I could see his face within four feet of me. He threw up his hands for something to catch at, and looked at me, and then gave a frightful scream. I didn't throw him the rope. Something stopped me. He might not have got hold of it, you know, anyhow. He went down again among the white water, and I never saw him no more. Only when I am dreaming. I always dream about him. I can see his face coming up above the boiling water, and when he screams I wake up. I can never get clear of him out of my head. And yet, mind you, I didn't drown him. He fell in off himself, and I just missed throwing him the rope. That's all, and I wasn't bound to do it, was he? And as for money I got for seal-skins, I could have lived comfortably on that all my life, but it never did me no good. I started drinking, trying to forget that Port Albert man, but it was no use. Every shilling was soon gone, and ever since I've been doing odd jobs and loafing about the publics. I've never done no good, and never shall. Let's just have another nobbler before we turn in. End of section 36